it's great seeing you guys uh, this morning, missing pastor. I have uh, the awesome opportunity to share usually men's breakfast, and um, I, um, I'm going to continue on with what I've been sharing, and, and I've been in, uh, um, in John 18. And so I'm excited to share this morning um, what I have for you. Hey, and John, is there a little feedback in this thing that you could kick me down just a little bit back there? I'm rattling around in my brain. Let's pray. Lord, we lift you up this morning in worship, and we know, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, that your love is amazing, just simply amazing. And a lot of times we don't understand the depth of your love. And so this morning... We're going to attempt to understand more about you, more about your love, and Lord, just how you interact with us and how you want us to interact with the world. And so we praise you for the fact that we have salvation through you, Lord, and um, no other. Uh, We don't have this opportunity anywhere else, Lord. It's you only. And we praise you for that. We get on our knees for that. And Lord, we are all in for you this morning. And so speak through me, Lord, this morning and uh, allow those who hear to be able to respond in, um, in their lives, Lord, and, and, and allow your love to make a huge difference, Lord, this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So I've been in um, John 18. And so I, what I'd like to do is, is to get a little bit of review. This morning... Some of the things I'm going to hit on just to, uh, just to give us a little bit of a kind of idea uh, where we're at. We're gonna, I want to talk about how Jesus prepares the disciples. We're going to look at that before we get going. Um, how Jesus is in control and all-powerful. That, that will be highlighted. Um, his sacrificial love. We'll touch on that and how Peter follows at a distance, which is an interesting concept. And then lastly, we'll focus on the big question, why did Peter lie? And so these things intrigued me as I was studying this passage and there's, um, and it's amazing how the Bible opens up and comes alive to you and excites you about what God has done in the past what he's doing right now, and what he's going to do in the future for you. So just, just to catch you up a little bit, in John 13 is the beginning of where Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. And his main focus, if you look back in, in chapters 13, 14, 15, you know, this is where Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. He is showing them a love that they've never seen before. It's, he identifies Judas during this time. He is breaking bread with them. We just had communion, and he did the same with his disciples there. He talks about a new commandment um, and a different way of loving and thinking about people. He is preparing them for a time that he's going to be gone. And if you can imagine doing this with your children, thinking like, how do I prepare my kids for my death? And so he knows that they're going to continue to 
teach those around the world and spread the good news about him. But first, he's got to prepare them for that. And the crazy thing is, is they're having a heck of a time understanding, um, just like probably the rest of us would. And so he's spending a lot of time uh, teaching them and helping them and praying with them. And so he prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then he finishes this, this prayer, and then we'll pick it up here in, uh, in uh, John 18. We'll start in verse 1, and then I'm just going to read till verse 11, and then we'll just kind of pick it up a little bit. So with me in John 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went with his disciples over the Burke Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it back, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. <clears throat> so Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And this is pretty much what we've covered in in our uh, men's breakfast. And so I know you, the guys will hear maybe a couple things that they've heard already, but we're going to continue on past that. But I was so moved by a few things here that I couldn't not, when I was asked to speak, speak about these things. And so when I go back and look, <clears throat> if you kind of want to go back and look at some of the things that really stand out, in verse 3, then Judas had received a detachment of troops and officers um, from the chief priests and Pharisees. And so when you, when you research this, this is, a, this is a group of people numbering five to 600 people. This is a, this is a great group of people. And you had the, the Roman troops there. You had the Jewish leaders there. And... They came with <clears throat> lanterns and um, clubs, swords. They were there for a fight, basically. They were, they were going to seek out Jesus, and they were not going to let him go. This was at night. They were, had previously planned on killing Jesus. And so they needed Judas to be able to identify him, who Jesus was, and then they were not going to let him go. And so... This is so Jesus, if you can imagine him and a few of his disciples standing there and amongst, you know, how many people do we have in here? Maybe a hundred people, if that. Multiply that by five or six times. 
all coming to get one guy. And that stands out to me. The other thing that really stands out to me is the fact that Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, I don't know if you can imagine that, but that's five to 600 people being basically blown back to the ground. That's what God's word says here. And thinking about, is Jesus in control here? Is Jesus willingly giving himself up to these guys? And is Jesus going there to take them all out? No, he has a purpose. And looking back um, at uh, what Jesus has been there for um, and thinking about these words, I am, it's interesting, too, that the earlier transcripts don't have the word he in the statement. And so, tip, and so basically, in the earlier statements, when, they, when Jesus asked, who are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He simply said, I am. And I, I made uh, some I am statements, wrote them down on my little note here um, that, were, that was highlighted to me when I was looking at this, and, and Jesus throughout most of John, and, and uh, well, basically all these are coming from John, but here's some parallel I am statements for Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection, the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And then God identifies himself to Moses in Exodus the same way. Remember what he says. Moses said, well, who am I supposed to tell that sent me? He says, I am. Tell them that I am sent you. I am. The name, the personal name of God himself. And so we see Jesus using that personal name of God. And the results are his name is so magnified and majestic that basically his saying the name just kind of leveled everybody. And so that was a highlight for me. Then he also, he says, if you're coming to get me, get me, but leave my disciples alone so that none would be lost. And so that he was definitely focused on, on his disciples' protection as well. In verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And so we kind of highlighted in the past that was, was Peter a seasoned um, man of war? If you look back in God's word, see, he's a fisherman. And his knife was probably maybe a fillet knife or who knows what it was. But um, he wasn't a man of war, but he was protecting Jesus, he was doing what he could do, and he basically flailed at it. We don't know if he like took his knife out and tried stabbing him in the face with it or what. And, you know, the guy missed and cut off his ear. Regardless, 
Peter, of course, which kind of blows me away is the fact that Peter just saw Jesus level everybody for five or 600 people. And then, and then they all get back up and they ask him again. Jesus asked him again, but then this time Peter feels inclined to, to uh, pull his knife out. And, and if you study it up a little bit, you know, Peter starts holy war basically or violence. You know, we all human beings start with violence. It's kind of an interesting concept, but we're kind of that way a little bit. And so throughout what we're talking about today, um, you will be able to identify with Peter quite a bit. So Jesus said, Peter, put your sword in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And I don't know if you guys have ever been made to drink something really bad. Um, for me, it was my parents making me eat okra. Um, it was horrible, slimy, nasty. Um, but I was supposed to eat it because that's how I could get dessert. So I forcibly ate the okra. Um, in this instance, what is the cup and what is drinking from the cup? And it's, this is a metaphor used to describe an intense pain and agony. And again, this metaphor is basically for uh, death, and it symbolizes Jesus on the cross. And he knew it was the Father's will that he does this for, the, for all. And so he knew he had to do that. And so he wasn't going to let anything stop him from doing his Father's will. This was God's plan for Jesus and he had already just told all of his disciples this. This is the other thing is he explained this to all of them in the upper room. And he explained that to him in John 16. Um, go to Matthew. And we are going to be hunting around in the Bible this morning because that's what we do. I found a lot of cool things in here too, by the way. Um, we're going to go to Matthew 26, 52. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus or it must happen this way? Um, does anybody have any clue of how much one legion is? I heard a thousand something, so five thousand, ten thousand. So okay, I I found one legion is worth five thousand. We can go with ten. But the cool thing is, is if you do the math, let's just say it's five. He can call down twelve legions of angels. That's over sixty thousand angels. Um. And if you know the power of one angel, you'll be blown away. And we see that in 2 Kings 19.35. We're not going to go there. But 2 Kings 19.35, we see one angel working for King Hezekiah and wiping out 180,000 people in one shot. So is Jesus in control? Absolutely, yes. Jesus is in full control. Going to verse 12 in um, 
John 18, verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captains and the officers of the Jew, Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And as I highlighted in our men's breakfast, it wasn't the soldiers or the ropes or the chains that highlighted or that bound Jesus. It was, it was the love of Jesus. It was the love of God. And it was a sacrificial love. It was an agape love. And agape love is the highest, purest form of love. It's an unconditional love. And it unites and it heals. Agape love is action-oriented. It seeks the good of the other person. Sounds opposite of America. God's love for you is so strong that he is willing to send his son to the cross for you and I. And God's love is so powerful that nothing can separate you from it. If you just think about that, nothing can separate you from God's love. It's easy to say it. But when you think about the reality of it, it's, it's incredible. And so we are to love with an agape love. If you've been married at any time, you know that when you first get married, it's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Your passion and your juices are flowing, and it's you can't think of anything other than the new leap wed person that you're married to you that you're married to well about about what's what number should i use here some of you lose it at two years into your marriage some of it still got it at 30 years but down the road in your marriage you will start losing that touchy-feeling kind of love, and it's more of a, it's more, it turns more of into a partnership love. It's like, I've been with you for 30 years, and I'm going to be with you for another 30 years. I love you so much. But it's more of an agape love. It's, it's, you are there with them no matter what forever, and it's a sacrificial love. It's a, it's a uniting and a healing love. And it's a love without really feelings. And so you do for the other person because that's what you do. You unconditionally are going to take care of that person because of this, the bond that you have. You don't have to feel like doing it. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. This agape love is needed more and more in marriages. Um, some of us, some of our marriages don't last very long because... Our love is a selfish love, which most of us have to kind of grunt through in our younger years. And that's how I ended up being married twice, because my first love was a selfish love. My second love was, okay, I'm not as stupid as I was in my first love. I'm just starting to figure it out a little bit better. But an agape love, can you imagine just living solely with your spouse and with, with agape love? Um, in the forefront of your mind all the time. And it's, it's, it's serving. And it's without wanting or needing anything back. That's tough to do for us human beings, I have to say. It's not an easy thing. How do you view others? This is the other thing that I highlighted in our men's breakfast was, you know, sometimes I really struggle 
with seeing certain people on the side of the road or whatever, mooching off other people or, or whatever. It, it's, you, we don't know. And so I am just supposed to have a love for others no matter where they're at in life. And so I, I pray for that for myself more and more because it's easy for us to be a judgmental. Well, agape love is not a judgmental love for, by any means. And so we see a little bit about the, of the heart of Jesus when we see him in action. And turn with me to John 13, verse 34. John 13 Verse 34 says this. This is Jesus again. He's with his disciples. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so the old commandment was what as far as concerning love? Anybody? Exactly. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's right. The new command from Jesus was in Matthew and the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 and, and in some other spots. But, but the new commandment was to not only love the Lord your God with everything you had and your neighbor, but now also love your enemy. This is, goes really beyond what our, what our brain kind of processes that because our enemies were supposed to hate and fight our enemies jesus is saying love your enemies in fact he goes so far as to say lay your life down for someone else so it's a different way of thinking and you think about this love this love is the most powerful sign us having this love is the most powerful sign that we could have that shows that Jesus is, is with us, right? How else are you going to show that Jesus is with you? By your incredible verse memorization activities? Or by how big a Bible you got? Or how much money you give? These things are all shown, the love of Jesus is shown through the love that we have for others. And... Um, it's not an easy thing for us to, uh, to sometimes do. Luke 6.35. It's actually uh, Luke 6.35. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Um, turn with me to John 15. In verse 9. We see, again, Jesus educating and working with his disciples, helping them understand. And he says this in verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So, and again, I, was, I talked a little bit about... Um, our selfishness and how that so easily comes out in us and it's uh you know when we think about a lot of times we try to we try to make our own joy with the things that we want and do and we find that that joy is short-lived most of the time um we 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 seek that happiness for ourselves and in realizing after reading god's word that your joy will be full by remaining in the Lord, by dwelling. It says abide here, but it's, be, it's be being constant and remaining in the Lord and in his word. And so I really like this here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Abide in my love. So when I think about how our joy may be more complete. I think about drawing closer to the Lord and staying close to the Lord and uh, constantly being near him. And we're going to see that played out here in uh, just a little bit. In verse 13 of John 18, we see that, uh, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So Annas was the high priest originally, and then he had, uh, he had five sons, and basically that stayed in the family. He just continued to uh, pass on down the next generation, basically, to be uh, the high priest. Well, so here Annas was, was, he had turned this, his high priestedness, I guess you could say, over to Caiaphas, who was his son-in-law, and Annas went to go manage the temple concessions, which was making him a wealthy man. And so as a better setup for him, but he was he was more or less is, is kind of the higher up and everybody knew that. So they took Jesus to Annas first and then Caiaphas after, after that. And it's explained in more detail in uh, other gospels. But um, look at John 11. And we're going to look at verse 49. John 11, yep. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say in his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied, that Jesus would die for the nation. 
and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one of the children of God who were scattered abroad. From that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And so you can kind of come to the conclusion that Jesus was not going to get a fair trial either way. So they were plotting to kill him, and that was the end of that. And so Caiaphas made this prediction, and, um, and he didn't even know that he was right about the fact that Jesus was, was about ready to die for all people, for, for salvation. Um, let's go ahead and, and read... We're going to read from 15 now on, uh, John 18, verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the other door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Skip on down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Um, so we've all heard this story and we've read it a lot of times and it is, it is a very interesting story and, and it's interesting how Peter always seemed to be sticking his foot in his mouth and always seemed to be kind of getting himself into trouble. But this is an interesting scenario and I, I want to unpack it a little bit. And so if I go back to verse 15, um, so the other disciple that, that uh, Peter was with was more than likely John. And John, his father was Zebedee, and Zebedee was a fisherman, and then they had this business, and, and so they interacted with, with the high priests, with, um, this is, this is uh, uh, more than likely the scenario that happened, that they... They knew John. And so if we read it again, in, Simon, in verse 15, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, which we're saying is John. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So, the high, so, so John shows up, and he goes in with the high priest. Well, that's kind of interesting. But Peter stood outside the door because Peter was kind of unknown to these guys. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest, he went, came, comes back out. He's like, looks around, where's Peter? He comes back out. And then, 
he spoke to the gal at the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, I'm sure maybe as he was going by, he's like, hey, aren't you that guy? And of course, Peter's it. no, not me. And so this is kind of an interesting scenario. Um, so everybody except Peter and John scattered when all this is going on in, in, in the garden. And so that's interesting right there, how everybody just scattered. But we see that right now, and we see this in the other Gospels, that Peter is following Jesus from a distance. And so we learn that from Peter that if we follow Jesus from a distance, we seem to find ourselves getting into trouble. At least that's the way for me anyway. I don't know about you guys. But when I, you know, we go through these mountaintop experiences and then we kind of seem to be in the valley and we, 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 we kind of do this up and down thing. And so when you start following Jesus from a distance, some interesting things start happening to your life. Um, for me, the, the, one of the first things that starts happening for me is I notice that my devotion time is being fewer and fewer times. I start um, praying less. I feel myself kind of pulling away from, from the Lord. And why is that? Um, I start focusing more on self. I start focusing more on the things of the world. Um, I, I don't know why I'm pulling back from following Jesus so close, but it, it seems like maybe it's something that happens to us. And so... But we, we, can, we can look at that here a little bit. Um, I had an interesting scenario, too, because thinking about this, when you pull away from Jesus or when you follow Jesus from a distance, you weaken the, your ability to defend who you claim you follow. You weaken your ability to defend who Jesus is. When you're close to Jesus and strong, you're in the Word, you can, do, you can explain who Jesus is to, to anybody. Yeah, he's my Savior. He's, and, and you can explain the details because you're in the Word. But when you are pulled back away from it, you, your confidence level goes down. You become less confident to share your faith. You become more vulnerable and deceived by false teaching. And so there's... there's some scenarios that we learn from following Jesus from a distance that is negative and bad for us. Uh, verse 17. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Um, it's crazy how Peter gets caught off guard and lies about him knowing Jesus, which is kind of a dramatic turn from where he was just at, right? Because um, earlier in uh, John... 13, he said that he would lay down his life uh, for Jesus. 
Um, and just, just earlier, he was confident enough to pull his sword out and, and take a slash at a dude to protect Jesus for Jesus' sake. And he followed Jesus when everybody else scattered. And so it's kind of interesting that Jesus, that Peter had this confidence, but why all of a sudden, why is it different? And basically without, uh, without Jesus by his side, he gave into this fear uh, all of a sudden that now he was by himself, he was out on his own, and he gave into that fear, which is exactly what Jesus predicted in John 13, 36, 38. So let's go look at that. John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, said, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster will crow three times. Uh, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And so it's uh, an interesting scenario where Jesus is predicting this. And let's go to, to verse 25, 18, um, John 18, verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, therefore... They said to him, you are not also one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it. He said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, I, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crow, uh, crowed. So why did Peter lie? It's an interesting scenario. And so if you, you think about, okay, if I'm there, I would definitely, um, if I put myself in his place and I think about this, well, he was scared. Um, he wanted to maybe not attach himself to Jesus for fear that it would hurt Jesus. That could be a scenario as well. Have you ever been in that situation where you denied Jesus? And I think about that for myself. I was like, I honestly, uh, in the past, yeah, have, have not said something. And so not saying something, you're denying that you're a believer or a follower of Jesus, where you had the opportunity to share, but you didn't. And so to me, I feel like that's, denying Jesus. Um, well, when we look, at, look in the scriptures and we see that Peter really wasn't prepared for what was about to happen, and he underestimated his own weakness. Turn with me to Mark 14. We're going to look at verse 32. 
Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us, let us be going. See, my betrayer is on the way. So that's kind of moving when you're, when you're reading that and you're thinking about um, putting your place in, in Peter's shoes. Um, would I be sleeping as well? Uh, probably so. Um, and I don't know why their eyes were heavy. I mean, we have some other things that we're going to look at. But if you think about how Jesus highlights the power of prayer, how real it is, and how crucial it is for our everyday life, what we need to serve the Lord along with the spirit that he provides. It's, it's everything. And as you read God's word and continue to study it, um, prayer keeps coming up at the top as being um, the thing that connects us with, with our Father and that gives us the power, gives us our, this, this uh, agape love, this sacrificial love that we need so much. Um, Peter was not perfect by any means, and God, we see in his word, uses imperfect people all throughout God's word and to do his will and to continue. He'll continue to do this, and I, I feel like most of us are that same type of people. He loves us through our failures, um, but he enables us to grow through our failures, and we seem to have plenty of those for sure. And he did this with Peter. And so here's an interesting concept that maybe a lot of you haven't studied yet or read. But if you go to Luke 22, we'll look at that. And we're going to look at, start it in verse 33. Actually, uh... 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that you may, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. 
And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. The thing that really gets me right here and highlights for me is that Satan is asking for Peter and he wants to sift him. He, Satan, wants to, Satan wants to crush Peter. He wants to take him all the way out of it. He wants to rock his life. But the Lord won't allow that. And it's interesting that Satan is asking Jesus, again, who's in control of all things? And that's our Savior. And so Satan has to ask. But it's interesting that Satan is asking and what's the sifting thing about? Well, if you think about sifting, like for us, at least when I grew up, my mom, we sifted flour. We don't sift flour anymore, do we? Does anybody here sift flour? Okay, we got some bakers in here for sure. So my mom, we had a sifter and we had to sift the flour. I never really understood why, but you had to separate the flour from maybe the fine stuff from the other stuff. So. I, I understood the sifting part. And so, but why, why does Satan want to sift Peter? And so, if you think about sifting or the this, this sieve, back then it was, it, was, it was separating the wheat from the chaff. And so, it was like a big basket, and you, and you rock it back and forth aggressively. And all the debris, the dust, and the leaves, and everything go out the bottom of it and is blown away in the wind. And what remains is the wheat berries, the pure wheat. And so, do you remember what happened to Judas? Judas, Satan entered Judas. And it's kind of interesting because we don't know, you know, God's ways are different than our ways. God's thoughts are different than our thoughts. And so sometimes we don't understand how God allows certain things to happen, um, how people act a certain way and that God allows, um, why would God allow Satan to go into Judas? Well, there's a purpose there. But anyway, that's exactly what happened. Well, Judas basically got blown away like chaff. He got, he got rocked. He was out. And so now, Satan wanted to do that to all the disciples. And he wanted to rock their world because they were going to change the future moving forward. And so when you, when you take this sieve and you aggressively shake it back and forth, there's nothing left except for uh, the berries. And if you look at that, if you look in Amos 9.9, you see the same thing talking about Israel and his people, them, none of them being left. And so it helps me now understand a little bit about why Peter did what he did. Peter was being rocked. He was being shaken. He was being sifted. And the cool thing is here, if you look back in this verse, what does Jesus say? He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And when you have returned to me. 
strengthen your brethren. And so Peter got rocked by Satan and he did something that he didn't want to do. He denied the Savior. But he was in the midst of a massive trial. And so I firmly believe that all of us go through this same type of thing. We all go through these trials. We're to remain with the Lord and stay strong with Him. And we know that the Lord prays on our behalf and that we'll return to Him through the trial that we're dealing with. And we all go through it. If you're not in it now, it's coming. It's on the way. Prepare yourself. Jesus prepared His disciples to go through incredible things. And without that, they would have been blown away like chaff, like Judas was. And so this is the most impressive thing about me, about, about this verse, is that Jesus knows and he loves us so much that he's going to prepare us for it. But yet when we fall and we get rocked on the ground, he brings us back because he's with us. Remember, you can't get rid of the love of God in your life, no matter what. It's impossible. So not only did God use Peter to strengthen the other disciples, but he also became the pillar of the early church in Acts 2. If you read Acts 2, if you read First and Second Peter, you can see what, what Peter did moving forward. And so what was, what was Jesus wanting him to do? When you return to me, strengthen your brother. And so we know that what was Peter called? Peter was the rock. And that was, God used him for that. When in other, in a couple other gospels, when Peter heard the third crow, he went out and wept bitterly. I can imagine feeling the way Peter felt when he realized that he, what he just did. And he wept bitterly. And I, I can imagine a loud weeping cry that because his because he was rocked and i can i can relate to peter and but i'm encouraged by god's word on on his love for us and how he's with us and how he'll get us through it and i am super thankful for the fact that that God promises that he will be with us for forever. Um, and so when I think about following, following Jesus from a distance, I, it inspires me to remain in him, to draw near him, because we all know that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And so know that through the trial that you're going through now, we have a God that loves us no matter what, and is waiting in open arm with open arms waiting for us to come back to him and he's praying for you on your behalf and so i look forward to continuing on teaching more through this but um, i'm so thankful for the fact that um, god's word is definitely um, allows us to understand who this god is that loves us with a burning love that loves us more than anything, and I'm amazed at that. And to that, I do say, wow, with an exclamation mark.